this is that hard-hitting journalism that I'm doing right here. Could you tell? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're doing a great job. David Smith and Travis Winstead, welcome to the Cardboard Herald, guys. How are you doing today? Hey, Jack. Good. How are you? I'm I'm doing pretty good, and I am excited to talk to you specifically for two reasons. One, you got this cool project that's up on Kickstarter right now. We're talking about Junk Drawer, which is the sophomore game by you guys, the follow-up to 10-Gallon Tank, and also you guys just came back from Gen Con. And being in the midst of like promoting this game, coming back from like the biggest North American gaming convention, it, it just feels like there there's probably a lot rattling around in your brains right now. So I, I kind of want to start with the whole Gen Con thing. Were you guys there primarily to support the game, or were you there as fans? Like, what what was the motivation at the convention? We've gone the past couple of years, and the the thing we have done every year, um, maybe not since the, maybe not the first year, but um, every year since then is the first exposure playtest hall. So we heard about that, um, and that's just a, a a spot in the convention center where all of the games are unpublished um, or <clears throat> soon to be published, and so it gives you an opportunity. The people who go into that hall go in knowing they're going to be playing with scraps of paper. Um, unfinished games, no art, and that thing, they're just there to give you feedback. So it's not like they're, you know, they, they expect polished. So we've had, got a lot of feedback. It's where we started Junk Drawer. Um, it's where we tested 10-gallon tank. Um, so that was one of the main reasons. Obviously, going to the hall, um, it's it's great to buy the newest games. We got a couple of the the hot games. What, what was the hottest game that you picked up there? Like, what what's the biggest takeaway? The one that you're like, oh, I can't wait to play this a bajillion times. The, the two, I would say, were um, uh, Planet Unknown, which uh -huh. you had to be in the line within the first 15 <laughs> minutes of Thursday to get. And I was, thank God. And I got two copies, actually. What? Um, and, and did me, not, someone at the back of the line had to suffer because you got two copies. I, I asked a simple question. Can I buy more than one? They said, sure, man. I said, all right, take my money. Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay. And, and Twilight Inscription, which I had to sprint uh, on Sunday to be the first like 35 people in line. And I got <laughs> one copy of that as well. They would not let me buy more than one of that. Uh, yeah. So that that seems like convention etiquette right there. So, yeah. uh, you know, like you, you're doing this, um, uh, this unpub thing, you know, you're demonstrating the game. Uh, when you're demoing the game there, um, are you surrounded predominantly by, uh, upstart designers and publishers, or are you like there in the thick of it with you know like really established names? Like, what what's the vibe in that hall? I know from going to like Unpub at Pax Unplugged what that vibe is, but this is Gen Con, so you know what what's the the stats there? It's a little bit less like Unpub in that Unpub is a convention built around like designers and not publishers. Uh, but in the first exposure playtest hall, they they really are um, just smaller designers. I don't think I've ever seen big bigger designers there. But unpub, yes, you'll. I mean, I, we've been unpub a bunch too, and I'm pretty sure I've seen you know other people like Rob Davio and Matt Leacock and uh, people like that will go to unpubs because it's a, it's a great place for designers to go, and those people are designers. But at the first exposure playtest hall, this is just one 
smaller hall within a much larger gaming convention. Mm-hmm. So I, when, I would also mention that, like, like to your point, Dave, um, we at Unpub this past year we play tested Elizabeth Hargrave's game Fox Experiment, which is was at Panda in a more production version. So yes, the big names go there to get feedback on their games as well. So. Yeah, it's harder to get to be a bigger, hotter name right now than Elizabeth Hargrave, uh, certainly. (laughs) And Fox Experiment is getting quite a bit of buzz. But, like, when you're demonstrating the game, I mean, Junk Drawer is on Kickstarter right now. So, like, how does that change up your approach and the discussion with the people who are sitting down with you? Are you essentially like a salesman one by one having people come on play my game and then back it on kickstarter right now are you still taking feedback on the game i mean i gotta imagine if you didn't have a game on kickstarter the conversations would be a little bit different right so with with junk drawer uh and at first exposure playtest tall uh actually we did about might have been about almost two months ago now or so we were actually talking with a reviewer and uh, had an idea for uh, a promo pack of, of uh, goals, four extra goals. So um, right now on our page, you'll see that if you back us, you'll get a four goal promo pack. Um, and so that was something just kind of recently we thought about doing. So we did go to actually, you know, test some goals to, but also promotion, right? Because at first exposure playtest hall, they do say, Hey, your games, uh, in fact, I even think they say they can be recently released games. But uh, so because there are people there who are small indie publishers, too, and they've got the big banners showcasing their game, full art, some of them done uh, and out. So, um, yeah, it's not like quite as like Unpub where things are a little less polished. in the first exposure playtest hall, it is things are a little bit further along. Let's talk about the the game, um, and we're going to kind of separate the Kickstarter versus the game here because I played the game, I love the game, I uh, I did a review and I did a disclosure that you know Dave and I are pals. Speaking of packs, uh, we've hung out together and uh, you know we've roomed together. This year, uh, you're actually going to be rooming with me as well, Travis. Yep. Um, and so, you know, that's a little bit of full disclosure uh, for everyone. But nonetheless, uh, Junk Drawer was a game that uh, I remember hearing about early in development. Uh, Dave would send it to this uh, group chat that I was on. Uh, and I thought it was interesting. But also, uh, I think even early on, I had some, uh, like, feedback on, like... <sighs> junk drawers i mean uh uh, i I don't really get the theme you know like it it doesn't really excite me in in a way uh but as soon as i played the game i was like dude i get it separating into these different compartments and then having the the individual scoring uh mechanisms for the different compartments helped the theme come to life and the theme made the mechanics click so much better uh, so uh, in regards to the, the initial design or the development of the game, what came first? Was it the theme or was it the mechanisms? The, the mechanisms um, actually had come first, and um, Dave can, can mention it because it was in his, in his testing process. But part of uh, Junk Drawer came from 10-gallon tank. Um, they, we had a couple of different iterations of how we wanted the, the game to, to be, and 
the mechanic of the drafting tiles and well the original one of the thoughts for 10 gallon tank was taking fish and putting them in a fish tank and how they are close to each other is how maybe how you score points versus just set collection and it's in your hand so that actually spun off a mechanic of okay let's try a tile placement game and then the theme we were at uh break my game and we just had blank tiles and we were placing them and one of our other playtesters uh just mentioned hey you know it'd be a cool theme uh putting junk in a drawer and it just like i mean that's that's how it was that's exactly how it came about and so that was we were like that is a really good idea it's unique um and and so that's where it came out where it came from so the mechanics came first and then the refinement with the theme yep and that was john texmo right yeah it was yep mm -hmm. with a stone circle illustrations can make a huge difference with any sort of theme but uh, again i think this theme um it could have been uh totally broken by being overly mundane uh without the sort of vibrance that you had in the illustrations how did you guys source the illustrator for the game we had actually reached out to a couple of folks that we knew um they they weren't available but they did say hey i know some folks and i can put you into contact with a few folks and so through that uh, connection, we met um, Nyasha Farmer, who was a student at Baltimore, uh, in Baltimore, uh, at the University of Maryland. So um, we looked at a couple different portfolios, and when we saw her, she had um, some some pictures of of people, but she also had some some scenes. And one of the scenes, it's kind of slightly morbid, but she had a bathroom <laughs> scene where there was a lot of blood. There was a lot of blood, but then there was also like wood grain cabinets. And that was one of the things like, okay, she's she's got that cartoony style, but not too cartoony. Mm -hmm. And then when we saw the wood grain, we're like, this would look great. I bet she could, I bet she could draw those everyday items and put a ton of color in it. Um, I mean, that's really the, how the process went. So that that's like watching any sort of movie with my wife uh, because she's really an interior design focused. That's one of her passions and interests. And we can be watching something that is the most gruesome murder show or, you know, the most far out there sci fi thing. We could be watching Ex Machina. Uh, and it could have nothing to do with the the topic at hand in the most intense scenes. And she could be like, that door is really nice. I wonder if I can find that interior door online and like just totally zone out of the movie and just like focus in on that door or that wall or that color or anything. Uh, so I, I love the genesis of that. Now, one of the things that strikes me about Junk Drawer, uh, which is in contrast to 10 Gallon Tank, is that... 10 gallon tank is the this very approachable but highly interactive game whereas junk drawer there is no player interaction whatsoever nothing about what your opponent does will have any impact on what you do was that a conscious decision or was that something that developed organically as you were designing it it was a little bit of both because we it was actually trav's idea when we were like playtesting 10 gallon tank and he said like, wouldn't it be cool if like players have their own tanks and they're trying to fit different size fish in efficiently. And so again, that spawned off into something else. But once we took that, that, that idea, that initial idea and like tested a few mechanics, um, I mean, we wanted, you know, different quadrants, different puzzles at the same time. And so we, I think it, it didn't take, it wasn't that long to find like, the idea of 
players are do almost working four different puzzles simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And we actually had one reviewer say it kind of felt like playing four games of Tetris at once. Mm -hmm. And so that was really kind of the fun that we found. And so that was the organic part. It, we didn't like consciously like choose to like, we're designing a game with no player interaction, but that's where the, the mechanics came, uh, you know, just naturally fell into place. But we, I mean, throughout development, I mean, we talk, we've played the game, gosh, a couple hundred times. Uh, I, it's a fast game, you know, so, I mean, you go to Unpub, you can easily play five, ten times. Uh, but anyways, we there were a lot of people who did say, man, wouldn't it be cool, like, if I got this power and, you know, once per game could turn someone else's tile or move a tile somewhere else um, or asymmetric abilities per players, uh, things like that, so... We talked about it and toyed with different ideas, but every time we thought about it or, you know, like just fiddled around with different ideas, everything just took away from what was the core fun of trying to solve four puzzles at once and who could just do it better. And at the end of the, at the end of play tests, you could see people's, you know, like the gears spinning and then it clicks like, oh man, it's, I'm only focused on my own board but how did you do? Oh man, you scored well on that puzzle. I was just focused on scoring okay in all of them. Yeah, and we, yeah. we did run a lot of those ideas to ground. Like we thought we thought about is there one once per game you can take a turn off and not put that down. But then what the the point of the game is each person has the exact same set of materials and you're trying to organize them efficiently. And so that got into roadblocks of well, how do you run around if you have to place in each one of the quadrants? And I think that's the the biggest hook of the game and what sets it apart from all the other polyamino games is not just optimizing one spot, but having to optimize sort of all four and make those decisions about, you know, where you want to place things um, at, at the same time. So, I mean, that that makes it harder to have a lot of variability and in, in powers and those sorts of things. Yeah, you used the term puzzle quite a bit uh, when you were describing it, David, and I, I I wonder, you know, maybe it's just a semantic thing, the difference. What What is the difference between a game and a puzzle? And obviously it's not interactivity because solo games are games, right? And there is no interactivity because there's no other opponent. But there is simulated interactivity. Um, you know, as an experienced at this point game designer who has come up with several designs, was there any part of you that that chafed or kind of like struggled with the idea of like, is this viable, a game that is totally devoid of even simulated interaction? Not really. There are other games that are, that are solitaire, but they're played among multiple people to see who gets, who's gets the highest score. There are plenty of games like that. Uh, one game <clears throat> that <clears throat> my wife and I really like a lot <clears throat> it's called Scrabia by uh, Blue Orange Games, and it's it's a, it's a game in which there's no play interaction. It's mm -hmm. just everyone's doing the same puzzle at the same time, and we liked it a lot. That was a, a really neat one. And there are other games I've heard. Actually, I've never played Number Nine, but I think that's a similar one where there's low interaction. And I mean, with Rollin' Rights now, I mean, I think most of them have minimal or no player interaction. It's just they're puzzles, and so. Um, I, it, it never bothered me or, I, I mean, I know Travis and I've talked about it some, but, uh, in terms of thinking of it as, you know, 
is this really a game or not? I, I never really put too much thought or emphasis on that I hope, because people were enjoying it and having fun with it. So this is on Kickstarter right now. You guys have 16 days left, I believe. Uh, and you're past the halfway mark. Uh, you're at 12,000 out of an 18,000 goal, uh, which is great, especially as a, a layman who doesn't do Kickstarter projects of my own. You know, like to me, that's, hey, halfway done and you're already halfway funded. But I know that there's so many more metrics and, and trends that you're supposed to follow if you're playing the Kickstarter game correctly. So like, how are you guys feeling about the campaign at the moment and where you're sitting? I mean, I think there's no better feeling than <clears throat> funding on day one. That would be the, uh, the goal or within the first 48 hours. I mean, of all things, you know, the littlest things, you get to put that big badge up there that everybody puts, oh, funded in 23 minutes or funded in one. I mean, that would be the goal. Um, we feel pretty good about where we're at. We know that as a small publisher, um, <clears throat> you know, games that have things like miniatures or, you know, let's, let's just say, um, you know, buzzword mechanics like rondelles, those tend to just sort of bring in a, a crowd that might blindly back you, whether or not you... Um, whether or not the game is good. I, I love the idea of the Rondell enthusiast that blindly backs any Rondell <laughs> game. And I, I know it exists. I know how passionate people can be about Rondells, but it's so ridiculous and so singular to this hobby. You know, it's like no one uses the term tableau or orthogonal outside of board games, but it, it, it exactly. just gets our hearts beating. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously that we have had to do a little more organic um, the difference between uh, 10 Gallon Tank and this campaign, we were over 50% after the first day, I think, with 10 Gallon Tank. Um, smaller goal. Uh, this one, we are we are just forced to have a higher goal. I mean, the the 84 tiles is is very cost prohibitive. Um, so, in that sense, what we tried to do before this campaign, um, we do you know so much interaction on Twitter. That's how we know most of the people in the board game industry building that following every convention we go to, we've, we've had newsletters, um, newsletter signups. So we've tried to build uh, that organically um, and we feel good about, you know, the, the audience that we have. It's just, you know, <clears throat> at this point we're, we're over 60, almost 70% funded. Um, we feel good about that. We do understand that like we really would like to be funded before that 48 hour mark. Um, because if people come back and see that we have a stretch goal um, that's on the horizon, which we have a we have really good stretch goals, um, uh, at least a, a couple good ones in particular, um, then they will likely pile in more than they would uh, if we're not funded or if we're not close. Now, if we're within a couple thousand, I think it's not it's a no-brainer within the last 40 hours. I mean, 10-gallon tank surge, and we were already funded um, for that game. So I think that is it, something that we're looking forward to. Um, but this time, we've also done a lot more marketing with ads. Um, so we've, we were learning that as well. I don't know anything about ads. Um, and I think Dave and I are both engineers, so we're both very good at, at details and design and math and stuff. Neither of us, of us have any experience with marketing. That's like, like a completely foreign concept and what works and what doesn't. So we've had to rely on a lot of contacts. Um, so yes, we would like to be funded right now. That would be amazing. Um, but I think we feel okay with where we are. And then another thing about that too was with 10 gallon tank after 
I want to say it was like after like 72 hours or so, like three or four days, it really drops typically. Mm -hmm. I mean, the amount of backers really <clears throat> plummet. And I think there were days we got like a backer. But we've, I mean, even now, like low days are like five backers for us. But we, we've had days, I don't know, we maybe consistently seven, eight, nine backers a day, which is good. That's good in the middle. So that that's a positive sign that we're seeing a pretty consistent uh, backership, you know, in the middle of the slump. So uh, that's another reason why we feel good about that too. So um, yeah, and I think Travis read, it was probably like five or six days after we launched. Uh, launching in August is just a tough month to launch. And the worst month of the year. Right. So that is, that is also a lesson learned. I mean, there's so many yeah. things we've learned in this campaign. It's just that we, we had waited so long before launch. We had other things we were working on. We, we thought um, we had, you know, a good, we, we thought it may, may have bucked the trend, but I mean, it's just a summer month. It's a tough month. So. Well, I've seen uh, established publishers who have like evergreen <clears throat> games, you know, these publishers that rake in a ton of money on Kickstarter launch projects that fund day one or day two or something like that at that kind of like artificial uh, funding goal. You know what I'm talking about? They, they clearly are not going for that small $30,000 and they want $300,000. Um, pull their entire campaign, even though it was technically funded in order to relaunch because it didn't shoot the moon enough. Was there any discussion on the part of you two about maybe like pulling it and then relaunching at another time during a different month or, you know, with like some sort of refigured approach to the campaign page? Yeah, there was at the beginning, especially after like day three and four. I mean, just like Trav said, we're both engineers, we're analytical. We do try and think from all sides of it. So, yes, we definitely had a discussion and talked about what are the pros and cons but we also felt like we didn't it, we didn't feel like we were definitely not going to fund i mean we actually felt like we still have a really good shot we want to see this through and let's we were all also like a week away from gen con where we knew we we're going to be in the first exposure playtest hall meeting up with some content creators while we're there and so Ugh, content creators who needs them <laughs> 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 so, oh, that's right. I know. I know. I forgot. Not those, those are bad words to you. Oh, no, no, no. I am well aware of what I am, even if I chafe at some of the language there. <laughs> so, yes, we had that conversation, but we weren't, we didn't want to like throw in the towel or anything. And we're not ready to now. I mean, like I said, we've actually had a pretty steady, you know, backership, you know, over the last, you know, two weeks or week and a half. So, yeah, I mean, I, we still feel pretty good about this. And, I mean, 10-gallon tank, I think, did fund on, like, week two or week three. And if we fund week four, so be it. But, like Travis said, I mean, we didn't set a, a goal that's too lofty, and we didn't set a goal that's under what we need. We really – we set, like, a game that – you know, a goal that's actually representative of what we need to, you know – manufacture the game, ship it, and, you know, get it in people's hands. So, yeah. 
we have this whole pandemic thing going on right now uh, and I guess has been going on for a few years and kind of is a dividing point from your first game to this release. How has the game changed? Not the game as in Junk Drawer, but as in the hustle, the Kickstarter thing changed either as a result of the pandemic or just over time and contrasting the two experiences of these campaigns. I'll say the first one, and it was trying to get um, people to check out the game and review it. Everyone's just really busy. And honestly, that was one of the harder things I thought. Um, that was one, like, it, especially, gosh, yeah, the past six to six months or so, everyone's really, really slammed. Uh, just because, you know, before six months ago, there was a lot less, you know, conventions, and um, you know, people and reviewers and previewers were becoming more uh, utilized for marketing. And to That's add on to that, I mean, I think the uh, not having that those two years of in-person events, I mean, it, it's it's really impossible to do organic um, growth with your your newsletter campaign or anything like that. I mean, we we did uh, Gen Con online. Um, and a couple of different things, but I mean, it, it was tough. Now, had we had convention that whole time, would we have waited three years to kickstart junk drawer? Probably not, but we would have at least maybe had had more interaction, more chance to collect that. The other thing I would say is, um, and it's just the nature of sort of any game, like any market like this, where you're, it starts to get saturated. I mean, I think the the rich get richer. So there's a, there's a big gap between um, the big publishers and the small publishers. I mean, you look at a game like Planet Unknown, and I know Adam's Apple game isn't that huge of a publisher, but you look at what's in that box, and it's a, it's a tile polyomino game with some resource tracking, but it has a spinning Lazy Susan. It's got a ton of boards. It's 80 bucks, and it was sold out, and it will be sold out for, you know, it's just a publisher like us, what we... We don't want to take take on a risk of doing something that big just yet. And that was why we started with 10 Gallon Tank, just a card game to learn. And now we're doing a tile game, just a tile game um, to learn. But I think it's a little bit of the the rich get richer with those big publishers. They have the opportunity to, you know, ask for $80, but give you a ton of components that just mm -hmm, small mm -hmm. small publishers can't can't do. The margins have to be a lot different now or, you know, looking at price points and everything or, or shipping. You know, I'm looking at the campaign page right now and it has shipping is going to be charged after the campaign ends, which is the norm for crowdfunding these days. But at one point wasn't the norm uh, to, to go to Kickstarter and see that there's going to be this charge and then something on top. I'm keenly, I, I am keenly aware of that as an Alaskan who has backed projects and been like, Haha, I'm getting the sweet end of the deal because I'm paying only $35 and shipping's included. Um, but uh, with shipping added at the end, that kind of changes all the metrics there. Um, how has like inflation and just kind of the global change affected your your like projected costs? Because thirty five dollars still seems kind of like a sweet deal for a game with all these chunky components. You got vibrant cards. You have lots of individual illustrative assets. Like, um, it, it does not seem like a cheap product for what you're asking for a, a price point. I mean, it's exactly what you said. The margins are much slimmer. I mean, we, we put it on the campaign page, but 
for shipping. Um, we're charging it after the campaign because we don't want to get, um, I think what happened with Simon and one of their mini campaigns that blew up and somebody said, oh, I paid 100 for the game and I got to pay 120 in shipping or something insane. I mean, so we want to avoid that. But also, I mean, we're subsidizing uh, 20-ish percent of the shipping costs in the margin. Um, and that's just because we we have to. I mean, there's no... It's tough enough to ask somebody, you know, 35 bucks plus, you know, 10 for shipping and we're subsidizing, you know, money that's coming out of our margin for that. Um, so it's, it is that the inflation is, is real. Um, I think the shipping timelines aren't as bad as they were, um, but the freight cost is almost as much as the game to make. Oh, yeah. uh, and that's just crazy. So it, it's one of those things where we would love to make it. $25 and and have no margin but if we did that we might have a $10,000 or $20,000 bill that we have to pay <laughs> and it'd be hard to ask backers to do that. Was there any discussion of going over to GameFound or an alternative crowdfunding source or was it Kickstarter all the way from the beginning? We we actually went through a seminar at Unpub that was Kickstarter versus GameFound. And um, Mike Nade who did Lawyer Up um, which I think was on Kickstarter first because I backed it on Kickstarter. And then his second expansion was on GameFound. He basically said, if you're not established, don't go to GameFound because you're not going to get the natural traffic of Kickstarter. And I would agree with that. Looking at where our backers come from, a lot of it is Kickstarter. It's internal to Kickstarter. So if you're not, if you don't know what GameFound is, it's going to, you're probably not just checking GameFound every day. And so he right, said, once right. you're established, GameFound's, better because there's a lot more customization. They can handle a lot more of the back end. You set it up and hit go and then it just runs itself. And they don't charge as much in fees, right? Right, yeah. exactly, yeah. Well, where do you guys go from here? Let's, let's end it with that. You know, like regardless of whether junk drawer funds or, or not, I wanna know what's on the horizon for Winsmith Games because I, having played two of the established designs at this point with 10 Gallon Tank and Junk Drawer and having played a couple of your other games that David has designed, I'm really excited to see what's on the horizon. And you talking about those incremental steps with a card game and then a tile game, and then ultimately maybe some of these bigger games, you know, what are, what are you two aiming for? So uh, game three is uh, definite now. And that one is being co-published, but I don't think we can really, we definitely can't announce anything. Secrets. You don't keep yeah. secrets from friends. Come on, man. So, yeah, game three is already, it's known, and it's a definite. Um, but I, I don't think we can really say anything else besides that. But, can you um, say when we'll know more? Like, is this uh, uh, 2023 is when we're going to start discussing this stuff? Yeah, I think it, they're, they're shooting to do a, um, a release next year. Okay. Would it be crowdfunded or direct? Yeah, this one, uh, it'll be crowdfunded. Okay. And it's the type of game that's really good crowdfunded. The, this is the, that hard-hitting journalism that I'm doing right here. Can you tell? <laughs> yeah. You're doing a great job. Yeah. <laughs> Dave's sweating. Yep, yep. Okay. Uh, so I, I won't plug you for any more secrets on that, but like... Um, uh, with you guys' experience, you know, I, I know that uh, you're doing this and you're uh, part-time on the side. Um, 
or at least, you know, part-time in the sense of this isn't what you're relying on for your income, for your families, I imagine that sometimes it feels like a full-time plus job on the side in order to accomplish all of this on top of your full-time jobs and on top of your families and other interests. Um, but like, uh, uh, aside from just game three, like, uh, do you have any five-year plans or, you know, what your big goals are for Winsmith? Do you want to keep it as a relatively small thing? Do you want to expand to other employees? You know, like what's the model that you're working towards? Dave, I don't know if Jack has played Flicked and Furious. Have you played that? Uh, the, the, the race car game, right? Yes. The flicking yep, race car I, game. I have played that at, uh, uh, I want to say the first PAX, uh, I yeah. played that in Unpub. So that was one of our, I mean, that was one of the games we were, we were the most excited about when we kind of started the company, but it's one of the reasons why we, we talked to a number of publishers to, to, we pitched it and it was just like, I love the game, but I just can't make it. It's too, it's too prohibitive in, in some of the materials like we needed a really big neoprene mat and we tried a bunch of different materials for it um so we, that type of game would uh would lend itself really well to kickstarter but um would probably not lend itself well to making mistakes and so that is why we we started with smaller games um so we would we are building up to bigger games um more complicated um these two were just uh done pretty I say pretty quickly, but refined over time, but done pretty quickly. Um, and we would like to stay a small indie publisher. I don't, I don't, neither of us, neither Dave nor I are thinking, can't wait to be Jamie Stegmeyer. Um, <laughs> at least not at this point. I mean, there are very few people who can do it full time um, anyway. So we, we just like making the games. Um, we would like to be a known name in the industry. We would like to make cool games. We'd love to sign games, I think, in the future. Um, and so that there's not as much mental burden on always coming up with new ideas. Um, that's tough. Yeah. So not for Dave, he's got like 30 ideas, but <laughs> he knows specifically which one I want to see. Yep. The tower defense, right? That's it. That's it. I, <laughs> the tower defense. When I yeah, first so... played that game. I went to sleep and just like dreamed about the game overnight. I was like, this is the thing. I loved it. <laughs> and, and that's another game, right? That we want to do. But again, that's a two to two and a half hour game. And I mean, we have ideas for legacy versions of it and, you know, campaign modes. And I mean, that's the type of game, right? Where you can have like little mini expansions of extra heroes and bosses. And, but that's not a game one or game two or even like a game three for us because our strategy is to try and grow, you know, uh, organically with like doing a, you know, a little bit bigger game, a little bit bigger game uh, so that we feel confident to do the bigger games where we're just uh, taking those steps. We even have like um, at first exposure playtest all another game that's likely going to be game four. So, and that's like a, 45 minute to an hour like tile placing engine building tableau building like roll and write oh maybe God. roll and write but so many buzzwords so many buzzwords <laughs> buzzwords so, so um, many rondelles you're just going yeah. back and full of rondelles rondelles <laughs> on rondelles on rondelles so yeah but like Trev said we, our goal isn't to become we have no illusions of grandeur of being like a large publisher hiring a big staff I mean, I think we even kind of caught up, you know, just at Gen Con talking about like rechecking in every once in a while about what, how are we doing? What's our goals? Are 
we still have the same vision. And it really is like, if we get to the point where we're releasing one game a year, maybe two, um, but we're enjoying the process, we're having fun. If it sustains itself and um, that'd be great. Like that's kind of our goal. Well, I know that you guys can get there and I'm excited to see first off junk drawer fund uh, because I think that game deserves to be a reality. I've played it and I didn't have platypus con here in Alaska to go and proselytize in the way that I did with 10 gallon tank and like everyone <laughs> I could find, I'd be like, do you want to play a fish game? Check this out. Hey, it's on Kickstarter now. Uh, I don't have that opportunity, but uh, you know, in the small ways that I can, I want to share the great word about that game because it is a really great game. It's a great family game. It's a great solo game. And it plays in like 15 minutes. It's one of those things where I wasn't even a believer of my own friend's thing. I was like, eh, this seems like something for someone else. And then I played it and I was like, holy smokes, I get it. Um, so I want to see that, but I also want to see the company grow. And I, I know that you guys have amazing ideas and that, uh, you know, you're, you're really studious about the process. You go in smart. You're not trying to make like enormous profits. You're trying to make it as affordable as possible for as many people as possible. Uh, and that's what it's all about. So congratulations on being halfway funded and only halfway into the campaign. So thank you guys for coming onto the show. This has been awesome and I can't wait to see you at PAX. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, we're really excited. Yep.